Now, once again, uh, I remind you that in the first 13 verses of this chapter, chapter 49, Isaiah the prophet foresaw the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. He is the one appointed by God in order to be true Israel, to offer up to God the heartfelt, perfect service that the nation of Israel refused to give and therefore forfeited the name, the the precious name Israel. And so in their place, God, God would raise up a figure, the suffering servant, the Messiah, and he will come and he will do what Adam failed to do. He will do what all the great kings failed to do. He will do what the entire nation failed to do, and he will be faithful. However, this servant of the Lord, he will suffer greatly. And yet, he will persevere with faithfulness, and his persevering faithfulness will bring a rich harvest of salvation for the nations. And at this point, Isaiah could not contain his joy. And so in verse 13, he breaks out, he explodes in praise, and he says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. You see, as as the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah, it began to dawn on him just what God is and who he is and what he intends to do. And Isaiah realizes that in the heart of God, he has no other feelings for his erring people than compassion. Compassion is the only thing he feels for his people. And in the mind of God, he has no other plans but to comfort his people. And Isaiah could not help but sing. How can you not sing? But Zion, in the very next verse, had a very different response. Because in verse 14, we we read, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And that brings us to consider something that Zion struggled with then and something that you and I time to time struggle with, which is sometimes the promise seems impossible. Sometimes God's promises seem impossible. Now, Zion is, uh, technically speaking, is another name for the city of Jerusalem. It is the city of David. But most importantly, because Solomon, David's son, built the temple to the Lord upon Mount Zion, Zion is most importantly where the Lord is present, and Zion is therefore the city of the Lord. And so throughout this Old Testament and the New Testament, because of the significance of the city Zion, that name Zion becomes Uh, to be used in a figurative sense to to designate all of God's chosen people whose hearts and eyes were always longing for God. And so when we read here in verse 14 that Zion, 
said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. What we need to realize is that it is God's chosen people who cannot bring themselves to believe Isaiah's glorious messages. Because you see, to them, the promises seemed simply impossible. And what they felt at the moment was not that God was going to keep his promises, but rather they felt that they had been forsaken by God and that God had forgotten them. Normally, we would call something like this unbelief. Uh, Unbelief is uh, indeed the characteristic mark of a hardened heart. Unbelief is what defines an unbeliever. But we need to realize at the same time that sometimes even believers, the chosen people of God called here Zion, even God's chosen people sometimes experience what looks and sounds like unbelief. Because you see, sometimes grief and despair look a lot like unbelief. You see, sometimes life's hard trials can crush our souls. Or the shame of sin might lie so heavily on our conscience that we can hardly believe that God's intentions towards us are good. And undoubtedly, Zion was crushed by the bitter experience of war and exile. And to make the matter worse, Zion knew that it was her sins that caused the calamities. So you see, Zion is both crushed and ashamed. And she could not join in Isaiah's praise. And it's really the grief and despair out of which she says, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Well, thanks be to the Lord that God knows the difference between unbelief that springs from a hardened an obstinate heart, and he knows uh, grief and despair that spring from a crushed soul. So where we see true unbelief in scriptures, God's response to them is to repent. But because God knows Zion's sorrows, and you do realize that she's lost everything. She's lost her eminence as a nation favored by God. The Babylonians came and destroyed the Lord's temple. At that point, it's really hard to maintain that you are God's favorite people. Zion has lost the pride of the nation. She has lost her home. She has lost her peace. She has lost her possessions, wealth, livelihood, And in many cases, they've lost their lives. This is a suffering nation, grief-stricken nation in despair. 
And to them, God does not say, you must repent. But rather, knowing that what seems to us unbelief is actually how grief and despair show up. God speaks to them tenderly, and he comforts Zion. And so secondly, God tells them, God cannot possibly forget Zion. God cannot possibly forget Zion. So look at verse 15. God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? It's been exactly about 10 years since the murder trial of Casey Anthony. Do you remember the case? Uh, She was on trial for murdering her own child. And in that instant, she became the most hated person in America. And I think we would all say understandably so. Because, you know, we may be a nation that's very familiar and maybe even become numb because of the constant barrage of violence and crimes against us. But even even we know that there's something sacred about a mother's love towards her child. And when that is broken, we were shocked as a nation. And why were we so shocked? Because we understand, don't we, that there is no stronger love on earth than a mother's love for her child. It's a little humbling that God doesn't say or make the comparison between a father's love. But the way that a mother cares for her nursing child, that utterly dependent, vulnerable, and helpless baby, the, mother, the way that a mother pours out herself, her affection, her life, there's nothing like it on earth. But as we saw so graphically in the case of uh, Casey Anthony, but it doesn't have to be that extreme, does it? Because even this strongest love on earth can and have at times failed. But you know what God says to Zion? Even these may forget, even mothers, even mothers may forget their love for their children, yet I will not forget you. God is saying to Zion that my love for you is even stronger than the strongest love on earth. You see, Zion's uh, despair, it it seems like unbelief, and it sounds like unbelief, but it's, it's not from a hardened heart, but from a crushed heart. And so God's word to her is not repent and change. But rather, God reminds them, my love for you is stronger than even the strongest love on earth. And what we see here is that it is simply not possible for God to forsake or to forget his people. So in verse 16, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You know, sometimes we do this, don't we? Uh, We need to take a quick note, but we don't have anything to write on. 
So we might jot some things down in, in, in the palm of our hands, but what happens? The ink quickly smears and washes off. But that's not what God is saying here. Uh, because the verb I have engraved, it actually appears again in Ezekiel chapter 4. And there, God tells the prophet Ezekiel to, uh, to mark on a brick the name of the city of Jerusalem. In other words, this act of engraving is something like taking a, a, t- a hard tool like a chisel to make a permanent mark on something. In other words, when God says here, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, he means to tell us that he, God, he has permanently cut the names of all his people in the palms of his hands. And he says, your walls are continually before me. What walls? At this point, The walls are the very same walls that the Babylonians had destroyed, left in shambles and in ruins. And so when the Lord says, your walls are continually before me, he is saying to Zion that he remembers all the pain and the shame that his people have lived through. And furthermore, the Lord says, your walls are continually before me, meaning It's an ongoing remembrance. God never forgets. He continues to remember the hardship, the grief, the sorrow that his people have felt. And that is why he's the perfect answer to Zion who sees no future for herself. Look at verse 21. Zion compares herself to a woman who has met a very tragic end. I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. And so Zion sees herself as a mother who has lost her children. But not only so, she's also barren, no longer able to bear children. And because that's where she is and that's her brokenness, God meets her where she is and God promises her glorious future. And he says the sons and daughters will come to her from all over the world. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples and they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. And that's the beauty of this passage, isn't it? Zion sees herself as a a bereaved and barren. She's lost her children. There's no hope for her to have any more. But then God says, I will bring you sons and daughters from afar. And she is shocked. Where are they coming from? And they come, come rushing into Zion so that that Zion, the deserted city, left in shambles and ruins, is packed with her sons and daughters so that there's no more room. And all of her destroyers have left. Instead, there are now builders. I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. 
You see, Zion saw herself as a wife forsaken and forgotten by her husband. But the Lord is her husband, and he will neither forsake nor forget her. And so verse 18, as I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. Put what on? All the children that God is going to bring her. Every son, every daughter, all the children will become to Zion as an ornament. For what purpose? You shall bind them on as a bride does. You see, here is Zion in despair, in deep sorrow. She sees no future for herself. Her dearest loves are gone. Her hope is dashed. And yet the Lord says, when my purpose for you is at last realized, you will no longer see yourself bereaved and barren, but you will have more children than you can count. When my purpose for you is at last realized, you will no longer see yourself as a forsaken wife, but a new bride in her joy. Why? Because it is simply impossible for God to forget Zion. And that brings us to the third and the last point in that God, God will do the impossible. Now you realize that the blessings that, that are envisioned in this passage, the, the great blessings that God promises to Zion, they are only partially fulfilled when the exiles return home. After 70 years of exile, because of the policies of King Cyrus of Persia, many Jews will return, and the deserted and the empty streets of Zion will once again begin to fill out, and once again, the ruined buildings, even the temple will be restored and and be established again. Even so, it was only the beginnings of the fulfillment of the promises that God is making to Zion here because the fullness, the complete fulfillment will only come with the servant of the Lord. Now, you might remember from early on in this chapter in verse 6, the servant is called the light for the nations. The servant is the one through whom the ends of the earth will know salvation. And so it is Isaiah here foreseeing people from many nations flocking to Zion as her sons and daughters, and that will only happen because of the works of the servant of the Lord. And what Isaiah is foreseeing here is the great ingathering of the nations to come to Zion, to be numbered as God's own. And it is a great ingathering of the nations in which they come and are counted as part of Zion and to have their names written on the palms of God's hands. You see, that's, this is no mere revival for one nation of Israel. And this is no small blessing. 
but people from every tribe and nation and language flocking to Zion, joining Zion, being counted as one of Zion's children and having their own names engraved on the palms of God's hands. And the difficult thing, however, is this. The world in Isaiah's days was a world that was fast bound in idolatry. So who can possibly rescue them? Who can possibly bring people from every tribe and language and nation to leave behind their dead and useless idols and come and be a part of Zion? And that's what raises the question of verse 24. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Who can possibly do this? Who can possibly free from the mighty tyrants that hold people in bondage to sin? And in verse 25, God answers, I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. Meaning, who can possibly rescue the nations to be counted as Zion's own children? God. God will fight. God himself will do it. And indeed, that is why he sent his son Jesus. And when you read the Gospels, you you see how frequently Jesus, he healed the sick and he cast out the demons. And in that, his main purpose was not to heal the sick per se. Now, clearly, Jesus had great compassion for the suffering people. And yet, he did not heal every sick person. He did not raise every dead person. Rather, his healing ministry and his casting out the demons was meant to demonstrate that God has come to contend with his power and by his spirit, that God has come to take the prey from the mighty and to take the captives of the tyrant. That is why when Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons, do you remember how some people attributed his success to Beelzebul, the prince of demons? But how does Jesus respond? In Matthew 12, 29, Jesus said... How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he first binds the strong man? You realize that that statement is a direct outflow of the question in verse 24. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Yes. How? Jesus has come. He has come to bind the strong man, to deprive from the tyrant the captives, and to rescue them and to make them Zion's sons and daughters. So how did Jesus accomplish this? Well, Jesus accomplished this by his seeming defeat. You see, Jesus was rejected 
He was crucified and he died. In Matthew 27, we read that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that unbelief? No, it isn't. It's great pain, anguish, and suffering. You see, Jesus, Jesus made Zion's crushed soul his own soul. Zion, who in deep suffering and anguish said, my Lord has forsaken me. Jesus stood in Zion's place. Jesus took her experience and made it his. And so it was Jesus who was abandoned. It was Jesus whose future was taken away in death. But you know, the hard nails that were driven into his hands, they didn't just hold Jesus on the cross. The hard nails that were driven into his hands engraved our names on his hands. And this is the mystery of all, that Jesus in glory still has our names graven on his hands. Our mothers may forget us, He, Jesus, will never forget us. Our dearest friends may forsake us. Jesus will never forsake us. And so, loved ones, have have discouragement and defeat crushed your souls. Do you find it difficult to sing as Isaiah did? Well, then remember this. Remember that your name, your name is written on his hands, and your name is written on his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Oh God, Father, What can we say to this? That you have promised to never forsake and forget us. What can we say to the fact that you have uh, our names graven on the palms of your hands so that you can never forget us? Simply, it is impossible that you should forget us. And so I pray, O Lord, that that amazing fact that amazing truth would ground us when we are struggling, when we are suffering, when we are discouraged, when we are in despair, that your grace would lift up our weary souls and put a new song in our hearts. And though we are much oppressed and hard-pressed in this world, help us to remember and rejoice in the fact that you, Lord Jesus, You will never leave or forsake us. So we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.